Well, good morning, Fellowship Church. This is the time of our worship together where we gather together to open God's word and to see what has been declared for us. Um, This morning, Pastor Mark had intended to continue on in our series, Ruined on Sin. However, uh, he wasn't feeling too well this weekend. So we are going to just continue to lift him up in prayer. And so we're going to pause that series for today. And Lord willing, we will pick up with that next week. So we just ask you to continue to keep Pastor Mark in your prayers. He's just not feeling too well. And um, so I just want to lift him up in prayer. So this weekend, um, many of our college students are home on fall break. And that's probably why you noticed uh, some seats empty because a lot of students are gone. And as they were preparing to go home on fall break, one of the questions I love to ask students is, what are you most looking forward to about home? What are you most looking forward to about home? And then I love hearing the food that they're excited to eat, the type of couch that they're ready to take a nap on, um, all the details, of course, that are necessary for going home. And as we prepare to dive into our passage of study this morning, I'd like to start off by asking you a similar question to think about. When I say the word home, what picture comes to your mind? When I say the word home, what picture comes to your mind? Is it the house you grew up in? Maybe the house you currently live in? Is home crowded around a large table at Thanksgiving with your parents, siblings? Is home sitting around the couch in front of the fireplace, curled out with your spouse or your friends, your kids? Is it tucking your kids into bed at night, reading them a story? Is home your kids or or your pets running up to you when you walk in the door? Or maybe home is something out of a Chip and Joanna Gaines magazine. I have no idea. But what does home look like to you? And as I started thinking about this, it caused me to think, well, what does life or home look like for us here in maybe specifically Dallas, Pennsylvania? Is home getting apple cider donuts at braces is home getting pizza from one of the amazing pizza places, millions that we have around here is home taking a drive around Harvey's Lake, maybe walking at Francis Slocum is home getting wing bites at J and J all kinds of other places or things that we think of, of home, whether it's in Dallas or down in the Valley, what does home look like? to you. Well, maybe for some of you, when I say the word home, maybe you get a different picture. Maybe to you, home is a broken family. Maybe it's a place of pain, hurt, heartache. Maybe home is a list of projects you want to work on, but you just can't seem to get done. Maybe home is unknowable because you've moved around so much in your life. Maybe home is that place you were forced to be someone who maybe you did not want to be. Maybe home to you is that giant mortgage bill that comes in the mail every month. Maybe this so far you are thinking, you know what, I don't even have any idea of what home looks like. Maybe you have no clear picture. Well, whatever picture of home you have in your mind, I'm guessing that deep down you believe or you think that maybe you've not quite found that picture. That maybe deep down, something is not quite right 
And while maybe good, there's still something missing. Or if it's a broken picture that you have of home, maybe you can't help but think there has to be something better, right? That maybe no matter how hard you try and work towards what you want home to look like, maybe you're still left with it not being everything you want it to be. When it comes to home, we often feel like maybe something is missing. And so we long for more and we're left trying to find those missing pieces of what home looks like to make it whole and complete. Well, what if I told you, church, that this is the way it's supposed to be? That in this life, we are never truly meant to feel like we are at home, that we are to have our eyes set on where our true home is. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, I would invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to look at a few verses in Hebrews 11. And I'm sure many of you have read or or studied, heard a sermon from Hebrews 11. And this passage is typically known as the hall of faith. And for maybe some of us, we've heard story after story of Abraham, Moses, Noah, and the countless others that are mentioned here in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith. And so often we talk about what they did by faith, but often I don't find that we talk enough about what fueled their faith. And so in today's passage, we're going to look at what those in the hall of faith had their eyes set on that I think could drastically change how we think and live. And here's a hint. Their eyes were set on a home like nothing we've ever seen or experienced. And so let me read Hebrews 11 verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. And so this morning, we're gonna look at two main truths that I think believe and see give us insight into what fueled these men and women to live and walk by faith as they anticipated their true home. And so the first truth that we see in this passage here is this. Number one, those who have faith are strangers and exiles on this earth. And so verse 13 here states that the people of faith acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles. And this word acknowledged here in the Greek is used in a variety of instances, often meaning to agree with, to confess or not deny to profess, to proclaim openly, as well as to celebrate. And so they, by faith, didn't just click the button that says, I agree to all terms and conditions. You know that every single one of us always read? (laughs) Awkward. They didn't just click that button. I agree to all terms and conditions. They didn't do that because they understood the cost of living out their faith being strangers and exiles. 
They didn't deny it, but they proclaimed it without secrecy to the point where they actually celebrated it. They wore it as a badge of honor because they understood the promises of God. And in a broader sense, they understood that this was not their home. In Genesis 23, Abraham declares to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. And Abraham knew this, but this was not a new realization to him, but rather a part of the promises of God. Because this word sojourner in this verse is the exact same word that God uses in Genesis 15 when he makes a covenant with Abraham. Abraham knew he was a sojourner because God told him, you're going to be a sojourner. Because in Genesis 15, verse 13, the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. So in a sense, he knew that they were gonna be sojourners, but in a broader sense, that was the promise that God gave to them is that you will be sojourners or exiles. And he knew that he was a stranger on this earth. And even creation, the world around us, recognizes that this world is temporary. And look at what Paul writes in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage, from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so even the world that we live in creation understands this reality that this is not our true home. And if you're like Laura and I, one of the things that we love to do in the fall is to drive and see all the different colors of the leaves that are changing. And man, it is gorgeous out right now. We love seeing the different colors of the leaves and how they just, God just paints this canvas on the mountainside. But as we see all the leaves changing colors and falling to the ground, while beautiful, I often think those trees long for a day when they don't have to experience the pain of fall season, that we drive and we see beauty and those trees every year have to deal with pain as the leaves fall. And then we rake them up and jump in them. And I just wonder what the trees think sometimes. That's what my brain thinks. And so creation anticipates a day where pain will be no more. And if you have ever felt like you don't belong, if you've ever felt like you don't fit in, well, guess what? You don't. Because as followers of Jesus, we are not supposed to fit in because we are no longer residents of this world. In the New Testament, both Peter and Paul refer to believers as strangers and exiles with this heavenly citizenship. First Peter 2 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. In Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a savior that is the Lord Jesus. And when we are in Christ, our home address has changed. 
For those who have placed their faith in Christ, though, we are strangers and exiles in this world. And we know this to be true, and we feel the reality of it more and more. Why? Because again, as followers of Jesus, we are strangers and exiles in a world of marriage equality and gender fluidity. We are strangers and exiles when we commit to a high standard of ethics in the workplace. We are strangers and exiles when we believe in absolute truth and a standard of morality outside of our own preferences. We are strangers and exiles when we extend grace instead of seeking vengeance. We are strangers and exiles when we have hope when the circumstances seem hopeless. And we are strangers and exiles when we forgive what the world might see as unforgivable. And these are just a few of many examples of how this plays out into our lives. So the question for me becomes, well, what does it look like to be a stranger and exile in 2022? Well, thankfully this passage here gives us three characteristics of the life of a sojourner. The first characteristic is this, strangers and exiles see and welcome God's promises even when they see far away. Because verse 13 again says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And as we think about the promises of God, we must wait and welcome them with eager anticipation, even when they may seem so far off in the distance. Because in a sense, we have much more confidence to walk by faith because we are, this side, we are on this side of the cross. Because many of the promises of God were more abstract to the Old Testament believers. But as we have the whole of scripture, we can see how Christ was the fulfillment. And I love how 2 Corinthians 1 talks about that all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And so, yes, we are still waiting for the fulfillment of a new heaven and a new earth, for the end of struggle and brokenness, for all things to be made new. But because we are on this side of the cross, our faith can be strengthened and we can have confidence in Jesus Christ. He who gives us confidence. And so that's the first characteristic of a sojourner. The second characteristic is this. Strangers and exiles take advantage of the opportunity to share with others about the promises of God, our heavenly home. Verse 14 again says, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And so think about this. Do the people who you frequently interact with know that you're keeping a loose grip on this world? Do they know that you're looking forward to something far greater than we could ever imagine? The people who you interact with, do they see you keeping a loose grip on our world or do they see you hanging on for dear life? And this verse, uh, this phrase here in verse 14 says, make it clear. And this this phrase here, derives from the Greek word emphanizo, which means to exhibit in person or disclose by words, to declare, to make known. And so as you go throughout your daily life, are you making it known both in what you do and say 
that you are living life as a stranger and exile in this world. That you live in a way that you're longing for what's next. And so maybe some of you have heard this phrase, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Well, I think this catchy statement would actually be a totally foreign concept to those in the New Testament authors and the church believers. Why? Because words are necessary to understand the truth of the gospel. Because Paul says in Romans 10, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And so our actions should absolutely speak of the transforming power of the gospel in a noticeable way. But we are called to make it known, to make it clear, both in what we do and say, who we are living for and why. If people see your life on a reel and they say, wow, they are a really great person, but they don't know why, then we need to make sure that they know it's because of the cross. We are called to make it known, to make it clear. And the third characteristic of an exile here is this. Strangers and exiles refuse to go back to their former country. And verse 15 says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. And so often we are tempted in our flesh to long for what the world offers, how we used to live before we started following Jesus. But as we walk by faith, we need to keep our eyes focused on what is ahead instead of constantly turning back. Because if you try to move forward and keep your head turned around, you're probably not going to get very far. And there will be implications. If you try to move forward to fix your eyes on Christ, but keep turning your head around longing for what you had, there will be implications. Just ask Lot's wife. Just going to leave that there. Do you frequently tell yourself, I wish I wasn't a Christian so I could do this? Or you know what? I really miss being able to do what I want. Do we say those things maybe in our mind or maybe even out loud? Or are we pressing towards Christ knowing that what he has in store for us is far better than what we have left behind? What are we focusing our eyes on? Are we focusing on the glorious wonder of God, what we have in Christ, what we've been singing about, the wondrous mysteries, or are we trying to do life moving forward, but keeping our head turned around? And we wonder why we feel like we're going in circles. So we looked at the first truth and the characteristics of a stranger in exile. And the second truth that gives us insight into what fueled these men and women to live and walk by faith was this. Those who have faith desire and long for our eternal home. And so the first part of verse, uh, this verse here says, but as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. And these men and women of faith, they desired 
a better country, a heavenly one that was not of this world. A few years ago, I remember talking with a college student and in our conversation, I don't even remember how exactly it came up, but the question was asked, are you looking forward to heaven? Are you looking forward to eternity? And they said, yeah, for the most part. And I went, let's talk about that. What do you you mean there? And I asked what they meant and they, they shared, they are looking forward to heaven, but they honestly didn't really know what to expect. And that made them feel apprehensive or unsure. Like I'm looking forward to heaven, but I don't really know what it's gonna be like. So I'm not entirely sure what to expect. Therefore, I'm a little nervous. And I wonder how many of us often feel that same way. And I began to realize that maybe if we talked more about what awaits for us in eternity, that maybe our lives would look different today and we would long for heaven in a new way? What if we began to focus on what Christ did for us and what that means for us moving forward, that it made the world and what it tries to offer look like nothing? And so I'm not able to answer many questions about heaven because we don't have tons of details. And to me, that's part of the excitement in my mind. But what I know for certain is that heaven will be greater than anything we could ever begin to imagine. Revelation 21 verses one through six gives us a snapshot of what this heavenly country will look like. And this is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And so this new Jerusalem awaits those who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And if we are in a relationship with Jesus, this will be our permanent residence. And again, we don't know a ton about this new Jerusalem, but here are a few things that we learn from this passage. This is a place that God is preparing for us. There will be no more tears, death, crying, mourning, and all of the pain that we know now will be no more. The second part of verse 16 in Hebrews 11 though, does give us a little more insight because back to Hebrews 11, verse 16, it says, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. And so I'm not sure about you, but when I hear the word city, I have a lot of thoughts going around in my head. When I hear city, sometimes I think of unpleasant smells, trash, traffic, angry people, overcrowding, billboards everywhere. But this city, this new Jerusalem has God 
as the builder and architect. And as I drive around and see the beauty of the leaves changing, I think, you know what? If God is the builder and architect of wants to come and this is a mere glimpse, I think it's gonna be real good. Revelation 21 goes on later to say in verse 16. So Revelation 21 verse 16 says, this city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. And so this really intrigued me. So I began to do some research and hopefully you can indulge me here for a second on this. And here's what I found. A stadia is about 607 feet, which means that 12,000 stadia is a little under 1,400 miles. And so based off of that, this city that God is preparing for us will roughly be half of the United States wide. This city would extend from Dallas, Pennsylvania to Wichita, Kansas, and go down as Key West, Florida. Crazy, right? Maybe some of you are thinking, I'd like to be farther down south maybe than here. Crazy, right? But wait. There's more. The verse also says its length and width and height are equal. So I said, let's see what we got here. So did you know that the shortest distance between earth and space is about 62 miles straight up, which by general accord is where the planet's boundary ends and suborbital space begins. So if you want to go to space, just go 62 miles straight up, you're there. And so to give perspective... The International Space Station is 254 miles away from us. And so this city, for all intents and purposes, will literally extend past the earth into outer space. My brain was mind-blowing when I was looking at some of this stuff. But what's also amazing is that this city will not be this place far away from heaven. This city will be here. Verse two of Revelation 21 says again, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God. And what's amazing is that it's God's plan to ultimately redeem the earth, not just trash it. His plan isn't just evacuation, but restoration. Why? Because God is making all things new. And not only is this new heavenly homeland going to be massive and beautiful and perfect, it will contain people too. Lots of people, every nation from all tribes, peoples, languages. All the introverts in the room right now are starting to freak out and panic a little bit. Well, don't worry. Just take a deep breath. God knows us. Meanwhile, the extroverts are like, keep going. But not will all of God's people be there. There will also be no separation between upper and lower classes, economic status, ethnicity, where you were born, education level. Nothing will separate us. And this all sounds pretty great, right? Well, this isn't even the best part. Because here's the best part. God will dwell among us in this city. Revelation 21.3 again says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And so in this verse, 
Dwell means to abide in one's tabernacle, to take up residence in. And so since the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden, humanity has longed to be back in perfect intimacy with our Heavenly Father. However, because of our sin, we are no longer allowed into that holy place, the direct presence of God. And that relationship that was once perfect has been ruined. We've tried whatever we can to restore that relationship, but nothing of our own volition will fix it. I mean, we even attempted to build a tower to reach the heavens so we could be back in the presence of God, Tower of Babel, Genesis 11. And so you see, because of our sin, what we've been talking about already in the series of Ruined, because of our sin, we are not even allowed to set foot on the premises But by faith in Jesus Christ, God is now giving us a key to the house. And he's getting our room ready and he's anticipating our arrival. Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven, writes this, there is no elitism in heaven. Everyone will have access because of Christ's blood. His death is the admission ticket to every nook and cranny of the new Jerusalem. People won't have to prove their worth or buy their way through the gates. Nobody will have to peek over the fence and look longingly through the windows. It's because of Jesus Christ that we are welcomed back. Because of his death and resurrection, the relationship between us and God has been restored. And what we've been talking about this morning, which seems like we're barely scratching the surface, the city, this absence of pain, being in the direct presence of God. These are the things that await us for those who are in Christ. And this is what these men and women of faith had their eyes set on. And this is what fueled them. This is what fueled them to follow God, no matter what the cost or the outlook. And the road was set before them. And no matter how hard it looked, how bleak the outcome, how foggy the journey, it seemed insignificant compared to what they saw further down the road, their end destination, our heavenly home. And so most of these verses in Hebrews 11, most of these verses start with this very important phrase, by faith. It's not only about the people themselves, but it's by faith. And we can talk about heaven all we want and how amazing it sounds. But the only reason we can talk about it in this manner is because of what Jesus did on the cross. And it's because of Jesus that our relationship with God is restored. And this is what we have to look forward to. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, may I speak to you for a moment? I am begging you to place your faith in him because I want to spend eternity with you. I want you to enjoy this city, but I want you to be in the presence of God. And Jesus is the only way to this heavenly homeland. He himself said in John 14, six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, except through me. If you feel like you're not fitting in, that's because you're not meant to be here. And it's because of Jesus. 
the relationship with God can be restored. And so will you place your faith in him today? And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, let me speak to you now. We need to remember these two big truths. You are a stranger and exile in, on this earth. You're set apart. That's what it's called to be holy, to be set apart, to be different. If you feel like, man, I'm not fitting into this world, good. And number two, we must have our eyes set on what God is preparing for us, our heavenly home. We get so caught up in settling for plastic peace when through Jesus and what's coming for us, we can have permanent peace. Why are we settling for what the world offers when we need to see it in reality of what is to come? And so knowing these truths, however, that doesn't mean that we're just chilling out until we reach this heavenly city because the world, this world and this life still matter. We have work to do. That's part of why we're having this Life After Row event tonight to better understand what we can do now because we Christians have work to do. Jesus didn't give us his life as a ransom for us to live the rest of our days Like we're in this waiting room, twiddling our thumbs, pretending to read the boring magazines on the table, looking at our watch. We have work to do and we are excited to do it because of his name and his glory. And so as sojourners, we are called to go share this message of hope with the world around us. That because of Jesus, this is not our home. We long for and desire a better home than God. We long for and desire a better home that God is preparing for us. We long for a day with no more pain, no more suffering, and no more heartache. And so let's start living like we believe this and share it like we mean it. And so for me personally, that's why... I feel called to share this hope with students because as of last year, 54% of students claimed that they feel hopeless. And in case you don't do math, 54% is more than half. So it's estimated that more than half of students claim that they feel hopeless. And we have a hope. And that's why we do this work. However, it's not just students that need this message. Our world needs this message. Your coworkers, your family members, your neighbors, those people in line at the grocery store that just cut in front of you. They need this message. And so will you be part of delivering it? How could God be calling you to be a part of this plan. This message of going out into the world of making disciples. And that's part of our vision here at Fellowship Church is to make disciples. The Wyoming Valley, the back mountain and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so will you be part of delivering that message? Because as we do so, we don't get caught up in just focusing on people as projects. 
but we see them as people who are in need of the saving grace of Jesus. And I am so thankful that years ago when I was 16 years old, that somebody shared the gospel with me, that somebody took that step of faith to share that message with me as a weird 16 year old placing my faith in Jesus. So as we begin to close, I want to challenge you with this. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward and, and prepare. Many of you have probably heard of a man named D.L. Moody. Moody was an American evangelist and is most known for founding the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Illinois. And thousands came to faith in Christ through Moody's ministry. And as he approached the end of his life, listen to what he wrote. Someday, you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live forever. And so this is what those in the hall of faith desired and had their eyes set on. And so let me ask you a few questions to think about. Do you know and understand that you are an exile in this world? Do you desire and long for your eternal home? Do you have your eyes set on this place? Do you have your eyes fixed on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith? Why do we spend so much time focusing on a place and things that have no meaning in the grand scheme of eternity? And so if you answered yes to any of those questions, then let's leave this place today, letting the world know that this is our story, that this place is not our home. And I love how later on in Hebrews 11, verse 24 and 26 say this, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. And I love this picture because Moses was focused on Christ, focused on what's ahead, that what was in front of him looked insignificant compared to what was waiting ahead. And so church, the things in your life that you're so focused on, what if you viewed those in light of what's ahead? Imagine how different those things could look. Imagine the power that can be taken away, knowing what is to come is far greater than we could ever imagine. And so I wanna leave you with this truth. By faith, we live today having our sights set on our heavenly home. 
And so my goal here today is not to give you every single detail of what that looks like, but rather to challenge us to live today, to face what's coming this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow. What if we live having our eyes set on what is to come? And it all starts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we give you praise and honor and glory for who you are. That is the reason why we worship so powerfully, why we make worship such a big deal here at Fellowship Church, because it's not about us. It's about who you are and what you have done. Lord God, help us to navigate today in light of what is in store for us, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. And I pray that if there is someone here this morning who has not placed their faith in Jesus, that they do not have the insurance, they do not have the assurance of this heavenly home, that I pray that today the spirit of God would bring them to a place where they would see Jesus for what he has done and place their faith in his work and not their own. And for those who are here today, if we have placed our faith in Jesus, may we live today and tomorrow and the next day and until you call us to this home, may we live every day with this view in mind. But as we have this view, Lord God, give us the strength, endurance, perseverance, wisdom to take advantage of the time that we have because we have work to do and you call us to that work What does that work? Preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. God, thank you for the opportunity to allow us to take part in this work. God, we praise you for who you are and what you have done. And as we worship here, let us declare the glory of who you are because you deserve it. It is by grace that we have been saved. May we praise you all the days of our lives. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.